Monday, September 14th, 2020, you are listening to the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. On today's episode, deer in the headlights, raptors extinct, nuggets making history, rockets drowning the lake show. We started with 30 teams, we're almost down to four. I don't know what happened to Pascal. That was brutal. I I don't know what to say. We'll talk about it. Save it for the pod. I'm going to say it right now. I'm pissed. He's Chris. Siakam sucks. Let's go. Okay, we're back. Chris and Andrew, the dream team. Uh, it's been about a week and a half, two weeks since we spoke in NBA. We were originally going to do this before Game 7 of the Raptors-Celtics uh, series, but then we decided, ah, let's let's give it a break and uh, see what happens. And then we had to give an extra two days to get over that terrible loss. And by the sounds of it, Andrew, I don't think you're over it yet. If you heard in the intro, my name is no longer Andrew. My name is Pissed. Yes. Um... <laughs> To those listeners out there, our uh, friend group group chats uh, has been a lot of vitriol being uh, sent by Andrew. There, he's you've yeah. been like mostly just venom these days. I mean, I need to vent. Who else am I going to vent to? Yeah, <laughs> apparently every single person on the Raptors, coaching staff on down sucks. Oh yeah, I'm I got hate for everybody right now. <laughs> it's the grieving period. I'm allowed to that be angry. Yeah. What are the what are like the seven stages of like uh, grief again? Right. There's- oh yeah, it's like. I don't remember them, but like, like first shock, it's like, ex- right? yeah, shock, then like acceptance. Acceptance is at the end. Is it at the end? Isn't yeah. like self-actualization at the end? I don't know. I think acceptance is at the end, but there's definitely anger that's like in the middle, early Denial. Stages. I think denial is one of the middle yeah, ones. I, am I at denial yet? I might be. No, you just go straight to anger and yeah. then <laughs> stay there until eventually acceptance has set in. And then yeah. you're, or I think you're just on to something else that you're angry about. Probably. You're just always angry about something. That is the way you grieve. Keeps the fire in my belly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the Raptors and how they busted both of our brackets since we got swept up in the fervor and uh, we both picked them to win the championship. Not fervor. If we got past, we'll talk about it. If we got past the Celtics, I like the chances through the heat. I like the chances in the finals. That's true. I mean, I also kind of adhere to that. I think the Celtics were an awful matchup for us. Like worst case scenario. I mean, playoff basketball is a matchup type sport. And we mentioned this when we had our down to nothing pod um, where the Celtics were just a bad matchup, but we'll get off on the Raptors for a bit. We can, I'll let you vent about them uh, later. But first, why don't we just get to some odd and ends? Because a lot of things have happened in the NBA since we last uh, spoke about it. Yeah. Um, So it's a new segment we're going to try out. We're probably going to start a lot of the pods with this one because it's pretty good, uh, pretty ingenious. We're going to call this segment News. (laughs) Yeah. Buckle up. Yeah. Get ready. Um, Okay. So tell us about this news. Okay. So a couple things. Uh, Steve Nash, since we last talked, got hired as coach for the Brooklyn Nets. Way out of left field, but I like the hire. Yeah, I like the hire too. Um, he got a lot of hate because he didn't really go through the ranks as a coaching guy. Didn't do the assistant thing. Kind that of happens. Just, like, I swear to oh, God. Oh, totally. Though, I'm not giving him hate. I'm just saying yeah. it was out there. I know. I know. And the times we're in right now, like there's some questions uh, that are being brought up that he had to answer. And I think he answered very eloquently in his uh, intro uh, intro press conference. But I mean, out of almost any sport, I mean, the big ones that you know of, I think basketball is the most likely you see it all the time where first uh, first year coaches are hired right on the spot with no other playing experience. I mean, and it seemed to work out great a lot. <laughs> Steve, Steve Kerr, Ty Lue, um Even Mark Jackson. Eh. He did a great job. Yes, but when half of the first year coaches somehow managed to win championships, 
I think Mark Jackson has been quite disappointing. I'm kidding. He he was fine, although like I question him as an analyst. I like him as an analyst. I, I think he's part of the dream team. Jackson, Van Gundy, and Mike Breen. Is that not the, the threesome? Two out of the three are good, and I think Mark Jackson is not good. Really? You're not a Jackson fan on the call? Not at all. I think he just does catchphrases. Who do you like as a third person on that squad? Anyone but him, basically. I don't know. Someone who actually knows basketball. I like Reggie. That's a different, you know, they're... Oh, a different network. Yeah, yeah Reggie does not with him. Reggie, Reggie Miller's great, but... Yeah, he's great, no. but it's him, C-Webb, and somebody else. I can't remember who's with those two guys. I don't know. Yeah. Why don't you get Jeff and Stan Van Gundy together? I think that seems like a no-brainer, right? I don't know. I think, like, they... I think you can only have so much Van Gundy on a on a broadcast. They both have the exact same takes. Like, clearly, they just talk basketball with each other all the time, and just, they have their own Van Gundyisms. But don't you want to like, hear that? Just two guys, like, agreeing with each other over the course of a game? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, there's only one curmudgeon old guy that you need on every broadcast, right? Maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, good hire for the Nets, I think. See, if, I like Steve Nash as a yeah. person and a player. So, like, I'm not surprised that he got this role. He's a two-time MVP. Uh, this whole, like, thing about coming up the ranks. Like, what are you talking about, coming up the ranks? He's a two-time MVP. Like, someone made a good point. Like, say Michael wanted to come back and coach. They're going to say, well, you know, Mike, you got to spend a couple years sitting beside coach over yeah. here, learning the ropes. Um, Bill Simmons, I think, mentioned this in one of his latest pods about kind of talking about Steve Nash uh, when he was talking with Roger Bell. Um, Kobe. I mean, if Kobe was alive today and, I mean, later in life deciding, you know, I want to coach. Do you think he's going to work his way up? Or do you think someone's going to say, yo, Kobe, come coach us? Well, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. This, this whole, like, work your way up thing is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Hall of Famers and guys who win MVPs, and especially guards who have led teams and have proven during their playing days to have pretty good basketball minds, give them the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, we'll see if it works out. Those who have listened to the, our other basketball pods know that both you and I question the um, locker room um, camaraderie yeah. of this team and the potential for... There's some childish personalities sabotage. on this team. There's yeah. some real kids like walking around that Nets organization. Yeah, and um, the kids are going to stay, and they're going to trade away a lot of their uh, role players to get probably a third star. So we'll see. It's going to be good TV to watch, but good for Steve Nash. Wish him all the best. Kind of wish that he didn't go in the Nets because I don't really like the Nets. Like, yeah, me neither. Me as like sports hate wise, not a Nets guy, but hope for Steve Nash. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, more coaching news, uh, as of officially today, Mike D'Antoni has informed the Rockets that he will not be returning, uh, to coach the Rockets next season. That's not a shocker. Not a shocker. Yeah. He noted in the press conference that he's looking to try a new offensive system. He's calling it, it's pretty revolutionary. He's calling it tall ball. Tall ball? Yeah. We're going to switch it up. (laughs) Small ball didn't work. He's going to the next organization. Guys, guys, I got this new thing. It's going to be great. Tall guys. We're going to go all tall guys. We're going to take the lead by storm. (laughs) um you like it hey i mean as long as they can shoot threes right that's all that yeah i mean uh, small ball failed so that's that's all that mike d'antoni wants i mean one thing on the small ball actually like watching the rockets who have now been eliminated um you know i really like their system and the thing that really just hurts them is the fact that russell westbrook can't shoot threes i think if they replace russell westbrook with like a point guard who shoots threes then literally every single one of their starters shoots threes yeah i think they would be much more dangerous I mean, they literally left Russ wide open, the Lakers, that is, all the time, just daring him to shoot. Yeah. Like, Russ literally built a mansion in Orlando with all those bricks that he was lobbing up during those playoffs there. I know. And, like, I want to give him the benefit of a doubt because he had such a great season and he was coming up a quad injury. We'll get into the Laker-Houston series, but, like, he had a rough time out there. Yeah. He really did. Um, so, yeah. I got one more news thing before we get into the actual series. Uh, this one, a little smaller, but Lonzo Ball signs with Clutch Sports. Uh, Rich Paul, LeBron James. I thought that was interesting. 
So add that to the list of athletes signing with Clutch. Yeah, they they all go to Clutch eventually. I mean, like LeBron James is like the dawn of the. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Vito Corleone yeah. of uh, athlete Don slash LeBron. representatives. Um, yeah. He runs so much of the shit behind the behind the scenes. Like even guys who are coming into the league, I mean, and are thinking about signing with Clutch, he's having dinners with them. He's one of the biggest power brokers in the NBA. I mean, I think he has more power than, I mean, he does have more power than the vast majority of like GMs and decision makers other than the owners. Oh yeah, like, I think is, you're right. He probably has more power, relatively speaking, than Jordan did because he exerts it more. I think. I think so too. Yeah, and like the league is bigger now, and social media yeah. is obviously more active. Like he player can get his opinion is now. More of a thing. Yeah, I mean, totally. David Stern was never going to let a player run his show. You know. Like, no, no, no. Stern was like iron fist. Uh, Silver's more of like a player's yeah. commish. Different time though. Stern kind of needed to be at times. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean the league was not what it was now was as it was then mm-hmm. like stern really helped guide that along and yeah there's some big names that came through the 90s that helped that but yeah. great great for him stern did a great job yeah um that's yeah, it i mean I, I got no more news no more news okay so then let's just go straight to the basketball then and um where we left off i guess we so, had previewed the okc uh rockets game seven i told you about the ramifications of whether houston lost this game and i said that even if they win, the ramifications for the team is just simply pushed down the line. They have now since lost to the Lakers. And even though a lot of prognosticators, including ourselves, and I mean, frankly, most sports fans, were going to pick the Lakers over the Houston Rockets. Um, like I said, small ball is great. Their micro ball, I mean, their micro ball experiment is great, except when you face a team that has just as much skill as you, but guys who are bigger. And so <laughs> the micro balls kryptonite is a lebron james and anthony davis who just happened to be on the same team so yeah but i mean this hold was not up. shocking if you're houston and you know going into the season you're going to try the small ball lineup don't you think you're probably going to run into davis and lebron at some point in the playoffs you never know how the bracket's going to work out maybe you hope you miss them and also you just hope that you outshoot them i mean it's not as if houston could have done any move they wanted to make the perfect team they had russell westbrook their only real move was whether they wanted to keep their center clint capella or just go all in on the system, on the the type of game that they were already tracking towards, and they just decided to go all in. Yeah, I, I mean, think, they, they moved Capella for Covington, right? Which I think was an overall good trade. I think so too. But was Covington a big enough piece to where you wouldn't have been better off stashing Capella in case you face the Lakers? I don't think Capella makes a difference against the Lakers. That's another thing. Like, I don't think you beat the Lakers regardless. I think let's just talk Lakers Houston now. We're going to yeah. get into OKC's offseason a little bit, but we'll we'll backtrack. So like. Yeah. One of the points I had here was that Anthony Davis was doing everything he wanted because he was able to catch the free throw line and back down P.J. Tucker for literally, 12 feet. Yeah, literally destroyed them. Do you not think Clint Capella would have been able to do a little bit of a better job? I think like, isn't P.J. 6'4"? 6'5", you can quibble with me, but yeah. Yeah, like, it's, um, like Capella, what was Capella, 6'8", like 6'10"? He's a linebacker, though. I mean, one of the selling points of this microball Houston Rockets team after they got off to a hot start in the regular season was, wait a minute, just because they're... Short does not mean they're small. We're a thick team. We're a strong team. And true, like, P.J. Tucker, you're not moving that guy very easily. The guy's but a I don't fucking, think you, like, I don't think you have to move him. I think you just have to jump hook over him. Yep, that's what ended up happening. Right, yeah, okay. Um, I'm glad I knew that, but Houston didn't. Yeah, I'm just saying what they were trying to sell. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, Clint Capella wasn't exactly wrapping himself in glory with the Houston Rockets when he was out there, right? I mean... He wasn't that good. He'd get some blocks, but he can also be exposed. And also, offensively, it was tough for him. I just don't think they were going to win either way. They yeah, just weren't a good enough team. And it's not 
it was not a one player move that they could have done. It's just they're they're just not a good enough team. Yeah, against no, I, uh, LeBron. You're right. Yeah, it, it was gonna be a tough matchup. I mean. I know we talked about if Harden choked, how this would hurt his legacy. I, I wouldn't say that happened. I think he played as he should have. Yeah. 29-7, 50% from the floor. Like, he didn't have any terrible games. He had that one where he shot, like, 2 of 10 from the floor, but he got he to the line worse, 20 he times. He had worse games. Um, he had worse games against OKC. Against Lakers, he was... He was he, average. Yeah, against Lakers, he was, like, meeting expectations. There's some other stuff that doesn't point out on the your traditional box score stat sheet, a lot of body language shit. I mean, Russ and James are just such a terrible uh, duo. Um, duo when things aren't going well. This is okay. This is where I'm going to get into like a hotter take. I don't actually know how hot a take this is, but I don't think you can win a championship with these two at all as your lead guys, because I just think, you know, like when you play pickup and you got guys who think they're just too good for yeah. their own sh- to try yeah like, who, that's are, what it, who are talented but you just know it's not going to work yeah versus a guy who's going to grind his ass off i mean like let's just compare like russ and harden to like kyle lowry i know what i'm getting with kyle lowry in terms of, like the guy's gonna fucking work as hard as he can i will fight with that guy like james and russ amazing players their talent is undeniable but like you see all this shit this like subversive side eye stuff make a turnover like point to someone else and then like not hustle back on yeah, defense like he's, that he's, shit like great at a team at its core. And I don't think you can win playing that style of basketball skill, notwithstanding you're playing the Lakers in the second round. He's yelling at Rondo's brother in the stands. Like it's just, the focus wasn't there. And to piggyback off your point, do you know some guys like you say, Oh, the statue didn't really tell the whole story of the game. Like a Lowry, like a Rondo Um, with Russ, the statue tells you exactly what you need to know about his game. There's nothing he does outside of the statue to help your basketball team win. What about those baby rocks that he does? I mean, you tell me they just lost in five. <laughs> um, he struggled. I know he's coming up the quad injury and that might have impacted him a little bit, but like he just did not look comfortable out there. They're leaving him wide open. Well, he didn't struggle with explosiveness. He struggled with his shot, which shooting comes from the legs, though. Like you just never know. It's yeah, possible. Yeah. Fine. I'll concede that part a little bit. You're right. But he wasn't good wasn't enough. Good. And I don't think this team is good enough. In fact, I would not be surprised if... Um, the Rockets GM next year, because I also don't think it's going to be Daryl Morey. I think there's changes, just wholesale changes going to that organization. Although I do believe that James Harden comes back. Um, Because if you're a new GM, I don't think you're going to make a big move like that right away. But I would look to try to move Russell Westbrook because they wanted to get off Chris Paul. And one of the only people that they were able to get off Chris Paul with was Russell Westbrook. Um, I would try to move off him and just... Maybe don't get a big name. Maybe you don't necessarily need a big name. I, I got, I'm looking oh. at it right here in my notes. I, I honestly think that the system that they play with, having Russ out there with Harden, limits the offense they're trying to trying to do. Yeah. Um, if I were running that team starting now, I would go back with this micro ball, but try to move off Russ and see if I can just find a point guard who could shoot and, shoot and handle. What's the appetite for Russ now, though? Well, that's the thing. I don't know if you can move off him. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a think, lot of money. I think when you get Russ now, you're stuck, man. Like, I don't know. What about the Knicks? Go to the Knicks like, hey, we'll even toss in our own first round pick. Just please take him. And then try to sign a guy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a team that's kind of in the dumps that could use a big name just to help, like, revitalize the fan base. Knicks might might be a cool option. I don't know who you grab from roof. the Knicks. I haven't looked at the Knicks in depth in like years because they haven't not, been relevant forever. It's not about forever. what's coming back on the Knicks, which would not be necessarily good. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to like throw a name out there, um, 
although I don't think there's the mechanism for which they could do this because of cast space and everything. Um, but if you replaced, literally one for one, replaced Russell Westbrook with Fred Van Vliet on that team, I think it's a much better team. Um, yeah, I think so too. Fred, a hard-nosed guy, he's just going to be an off-ball uh, shooter. That's another thing, by the way. James Harden and Russell Westbrook, terrible off-ball, which would be something that's very useful when you play five out like that. Guys who can relocate threes, guys who can cut in in all that open space. Right. But instead, it's like, you, your turn with the ball. I'm going to hang out right here. Yeah, um, it's crazy because I'll be here and I won't move. Totally. <laughs> you you don't usually say this about a lot of people, but like Houston is best when Harden's usage rate is like all time high. He is best when he's the main guy doing most of the offense. He seems a little sulky when he's not. Yeah, but he's disengaged. Like he's not in it. Like, right. do you think actually on this Harden point? Um, I mean, as this Houston thing goes, it it may end up being that it they never end up making the finals or winning a championship. In fact, I'd probably put my money on that at this point. Um, and then it's time to move on from James. And if he's traded, but do you think he can, do you think he can play a different game than he does now? Do you think that old Harden, when he was with OKC, where he cut a lot and tried hard on defense and looked very dynamic. Do you think he can bring that back? Or do you think he is, this is who he is now and whatever team trades for him is going to basically get this type of version of a player and they better plan for that. I, I think James Harden is basically mirroring Carmelo Anthony's career like in that he's going to continue to score he's going to put up big numbers and people will continue to sign a big contracts because he can do that but as far as actually winning games and changing the way he plays I don't see it see I think Russ gets mellowed they might both get mellowed <laughs> oh but probably yeah mellow treatment I think Russ is like imminent this is I think almost certainly his actual last contract unless he wants to sign for a veteran minimum the, the rate at which he's declining and the rate at which the NBA is going with you gotta shoot you gotta be able to shoot if you're a zero on offense, that's going to really hurt you unless you can also really play defense, which Russ doesn't like to do that much, despite yeah. his, his physical gifts notwithstanding. It's yeah. an effort and willingness thing, and he doesn't have that at this point. Like, both these players just strike me as guys who think they're too fucking big time to be the guys to do dirty work. Right. And I personally would hate that on my team. Yeah, they're in trouble. I mean, if you look at their offseason, everybody except for Jeff Green is still under contract. So either they're moving pieces or they're bringing everybody back. I don't know, as far as coaching names, if anyone's been brought up to fill that role. Who's going to want to come in there and do the small ball thing with that roster? I don't know. Maybe a new name. Maybe a guy like you haven't thought of, but um, maybe Jason Kidd I don't, or, like, or a guy that you do know. I'm not sure. They'll find a guy. Someone's yeah, no, I'm sure they'll find a guy. It's just like you are coming into a very specific situation. Yeah. You, you basically have to come in and run Mike D'Antoni's offense because you don't have the personnel to run any other kind of offense. I wonder if they might have to do something like a Ty Lue. Like, one of the reasons why Ty Lue was good for the Cavs and why he's always linked to LeBron teams is because he was, like, the one guy who was not afraid to give LeBron shit when he deserves shit. Because right. as good of a player he is, I mean, like, there's just times throughout a season where maybe he didn't try as hard on a certain play or could have been better. And it's important to have guys like, yo, you fucked up. Because no other player is going to tell that to him. Right. Like, if yeah. you're fucking, like, now on the Lakers, like Kyle Kuzma, you ain't saying shit. Right? And it's, it's odd because but, it's not like Tyler was a big-time NBA player, but he's got the respect of yeah. his peers. Yeah, he, like, from what I've been able to hear throughout, like, the NBA and stuff, it's like, he's one of those guys that, if you speak up to him, he actually low-key respects that. But almost right. no one is, like... Except the time when Mario Chalmers spoke up to him and he almost murdered him on the side of the bench. Well, Mario should have known his place, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Mario doesn't count. <laughs> but, uh, okay, Mario, so... Mario heard that advice and he's like hmm, I'm going to do that too. And it just completely backfired. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's <laughs> but, like sits back down. He's like, man, I should not have done before that. You, before you change the topic, because we're droning on this a little bit, I just think that for the next coach at Houston, they should probably look for someone that can um, call Russ and James on their shit. Right. Like, 
because right. they do do stuff like that. And if you want to play winning basketball, that's kind of unacceptable. But. Yeah, I think you're right. We'll see. We'll see what they uh, they come up with. They have like <laughs> three, four months to figure it out. Probably less, actually. You're gonna need to coach your training camp. So we'll see who they uh, who they find. All right. So enough about the losing team. Let's talk about the winning team. Lakers looking pretty good. When I first went on this, I was going to say, is this the easiest uh, path to the to the conference finals that uh, LeBron has ever had? And then I realized that it might be like one of the hardest paths because he's had a lot of easy paths to yeah. the conference finals. He just seems to cruise past the first two rounds. Um, it was automatic, basically. I mean, I know you wanted Portland to win, but like after a while, it's kind of like yeah obvious that they it wasn't that I team. wanted to. I'm a LeBron I mean, yeah, fan. Like, I just really thought they were going to pull something off that yeah. was special. Yeah, and then they kind of ran out of gas, but... I think the Clippers are going to win game seven against Denver. And frankly, I'm surprised it's gone this far. Good for Denver for being very resilient. It is 50-50. Denver could easily win that game. Is it 50-50 though? 45-55? No, I mean, if the NBA office sending oh, their know. game no, notes trust to me, the... They want Battle of LA. Like, yeah. we, let's all understand that. For everybody listening out there, if it doesn't happen, like somebody in the head office messed up. Yeah. Uh, for those listeners out there, what the NBA does uh, before every game is they send they send over a memo to the refs just kind of notes to watch out for as the series has progressed if things happen in the previous game the nba might send a memo saying like hey watch out for like in the raptors for example like watch out for those jason tatum arm extensions yeah, yeah. That he does on the drive that is an offensive foul um the raptors have been bitching about that a lot yeah um i actually have a copy of the report for the nuggets uh clippers game seven it says nuggets lose <laughs> <laughs> that is literally probably what it says. And for those who are like, if there are listeners out there who are um, skeptical about that, the NBA has like literally kind of done that before. Now this was David Stern's era, but just go back and look at some of those old uh, Lakers versus Sacramento Kings uh, oh, series. Buddy, the Kings got hosed, and man. just look at the foul discrepancy. <laughs> so, so the Kings got doubly hosed though, because one, the NBA wanted the Lakers to go through, and two, wasn't Tim Donahue the one repping most of those games? I think there was some Donahue in that. Yeah. yeah, so they were getting wrecked on both sides. That was tough. Um, anyway, yeah, Lakers look great. And honestly, one thing I want to sh- I want to talk about why I think the Lakers look so good. And I'm gonna like pat myself on the back here because I'm pretty sure I brought this up when we were doing the like the before bubble pod previewing the season. I said if Rondo comes back, he's gonna make a big difference, and he has been phenomenal. He's been great. He yeah. has been really good. And I mean, so I'll kind of like throw a little egg on my face, like past his Celtics career. Yeah. I've not been a big Rondo guy. I think he's kind of like a locker room issue sometimes, although I think LeBron's kept him in check. I think you're right, but do you think that Jimmy Butler and Rondo suffer from the same thing in that if they're in a locker room with guys who don't take it seriously as seriously as they do, they don't get along with them? But if you're in a winning mentality... But Dallas, did I mean, when he was with Dallas, that was pretty But he wasn't team, beefing was with it? the locker room. He was beefing with Carlisle because he wanted to play, he wanted to win, and he think he knew better than Carlisle, and Carlisle was benching him. I think if you're in a good situation, winning situation, yeah, Rondo is a guy you probably have. I don't really like the fact that he can't shoot, although well, hold suddenly, on. Hold I on. Mean, suddenly he can shoot like... Yeah, Rondo <laughs> Adamanovich. Yeah. <laughs> Got 44% it. from three in the series. 44%. That's going to go down. Sharp but, shooter. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot no, of averages been, will kick he's in. He's been but. great overall. Just having another ball handler out there, a yeah. guy who... He's always been able to throw lobs to AD. He's a floor general. Yeah. He's the point guard they needed now that LeBron doesn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, the last time LeBron didn't have to bring the ball up the court was the last time Kyrie was in Cleveland. Yeah. This is probably the best that Rondo is uh, this overall season, in fact. He was good with, he was solid with the Lakers all throughout the season. Um, Through their first four games, he was their third leading scorer. This is the best he's probably played since, 
uh, when he was with the Pelicans for that run. Yeah, uh, that was a short run, too. It was. It was that season. But that's probably the best he's played since then. Like, he probably raises the ceiling for the the Lakers now because it looks like they have more legitimate players. Because when you just move a guy down a peg... Um, then he's not playing above his skill level. It just makes things look easier. And now Alex Caruso doesn't have to literally be the secondary ball handler. Yeah, uh, it's big, man. I'm telling yeah, you, Rondo stepping up important. is big. Uh, congratulations to Rajon. He has now once again secured his spot on my fantasy team for the 10th consecutive year next year. I will be drafting him once he's again. He's also secured probably another two to three years in the NBA to keep getting them checks. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, so a story of the Lakers-Houston series from the Lakers side. Davis was too big, got every bucket he wanted from anywhere on the spot he wanted too to go. Big, too good, yeah. yeah. Uh, same with LeBron, basically almost averaging a triple-double. He shot uh, like 50% from the floor. He, it's funny, he struggled from three and he struggled from the line, and yet he still shot over 50% from the floor. What does that tell you? That tells you he was getting to the basket anytime he wanted. Not surprising. I mean, like, he got a bunch of little men on them. He's bigger than the biggest player on Houston. Yeah, yeah, Kinda I know, it's simple. crazy. Yeah. There you go. And more skilled, too. <laughs> um, we don't know who they're going to be facing in the conference finals, except we actually do. We just told yeah. you it's going to be the Clippers. Like I said, Andrew got the the exclusive ref memo, just yeah. Clippers win. It's great. Um, it just pops up on my laptop. But look, the Clippers are still a better team than uh, Denver. Like, give Denver all the credit of the world. Um, coming back in those last two games, Jokic com- coming up huge last game. Jamal Murray having his moments. Michael Porter Jr., like hitting a huge three in game five after uh, coming out with some uh, um, pretty bold statements for a rookie, uh, yeah. talking basically asking to give him the ball more, and then all the all the TNT guys are like saying like this is my Shaq impression, just like shut up, little man. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good Shaq impression. Gotta know your, gotta know your place. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what he said. Except, uh, I mean, let's let's talk that series now then. I'm going to ask you this. After being up 3-1 and everyone's saying the series was over, did the Clippers mail it in for the next two games? No. You oh, oh, so? did, oh, sorry. Did they? Yeah. Maybe for a half because they were up huge, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, Denver's look, looking good. Their ball movement is good. It's rare that they swing it around and it ends up in the hands of a non-shooter. That's what really, like, helps the Nuggets, you know? Right. And then they got they got the Morris brother, who uh, Marcus Morris, who thinks he's probably this. He, he's the type of guy who thinks he's the best player on that team. Yeah. Regardless of the Kawhi and Paul George fanfare, he's like, I'm the real one. I I averaged 19.6 points on the Knicks this year. So. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> um, um, something interesting though, in the last two games where the Clippers lost, um, I thought it was interesting how they faded down the stretch. Game five, Nuggets dropped 38 points in the fourth. Game six, they dropped 34 points in the fourth. That game, Clippers had thirty five in the second yeah, half. Yeah, that's unacceptable. I mean, if you're if you're Doc, you're probably just figuratively pulling your hair out. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, they, they like they've got nothing from the role guys in the second half as far as scoring. Game five, outside of Kawhi and Paul George, the only score was Montrez Harrell in the fourth quarter, four points. Game six, same thing. Outside of Kawhi and Paul George, it was only Lou Williams, four points. This is what happens when you mess around in the playoffs. They're still very good teams that you're playing against and the Clippers didn't play 48 minutes. And now they have a game seven to deal with where it's going to be stressful. It's probably going to be close and they're going to have to play really good basketball. That being said, I think they will pull it out because they have Kawhi Leonard who is, if not the best, like the second best closer in the oh, NBA. Yeah. Yeah. His ability to, and I've mentioned this to you before, I believe his ability to sense the momentum of the game and just kind of feel his way to certain shots. Like, watching him throughout the Raptors and especially that 2019 run, his ability to know like, okay, now it's time to take a big three and he makes it right now. It's time. Like let's kill him with my mid range. His ability to stop runs and start runs for his team is 
exceptional, and I expect him to go out and score like 35 points. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Kawhi doesn't have a big game. He's a big game player. Uh, I'll leave it with this. Who do you think actually pulls this out, aside from NBA meddling? You mean in this Game 7? Yeah. Still the Clippers. Okay, follow-up question, and I think I know the answer to this. Who do you want to see play the Lakers? Also the Clippers. Yeah, me too. It's just a great matchup, you know? I mean, no hate against Denver. I really like their team. I just... I mean, as an NBA The storylines aren't there for Denver. You got Battle of LA. You got Kawhi versus LeBron. Like, yeah. it's just a great story. Yeah. Um, even Denver wants Clippers to win. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Jamal Murray sitting back like, man, that would be a great series to watch. Yeah. If they lose valiantly, they're just like, Jamal, like, it was a great time. What are your thoughts, like, about I this I can't season? wait like, for the next series. Man, I can't wait for Kawhi versus yeah. LeBron. We're all getting together. We're going to rent a big movie theater. We're going to yeah. watch it together. It's going to be great. Make some nachos. Battle of LA. <laughs> it sells itself. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, but regardless of what happens, kudos to Denver on an amazing season. Oh, I got one more thing. One more little timbit of information. If they do manage to pull it out, first team in NBA history to come back from 3-1 deficits. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. in the playoffs. I heard that. It would be incredible. Yeah. Uh, Nothing else to say on that. Yeah, I'm good. Um, Okay, so uh, let's move on then. Do do, Do you want to do rap salts now? Let's do. Let's finish with rap cells because okay. I'm bottling up my anger as this pod goes on to just let it go with that. You want right. to do? We didn't actually talk about Bucks Heat when that series ended. Okay, let's talk about Bucks Heat then. So as we know, Bucks choked. Didn't happen for them. Heat were phenomenal. If you listen to some of our earlier NBA pods, Chris and I basically called this one exactly how it went down. We said if the Heat managed to do to Giannis what the Raptors did. They were the honest. perfect matchup to do it, too. Had yeah, like totally. Very similar personnel. They were able to stop him the same way the Raptors did last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. They did it to a T, and it worked the exact same way it did. Mm-hmm. Bucks out. Heat move on. It's also exposed more flaws of the Bucks than the Raptors did because with the Raptors, a one-off thing, and also the Bucks were up 2 nothing, And so you're like, okay, well, run it back, see like how this goes. And then they have this amazing regular season better than the year before that like the this bucks i mean i mentioned this in the previous pod but these bucks in the regular season in a lot of numbers were akin to that 73 uh warriors team um like they're just slaying uh the opponents their net rating um was number one by far i think like the I think the Celtics might have had the second best net rating. Actually, no, I think it was the Lakers. And I'm just thinking on the top of my head. Yeah. And like the difference between first and second was the same as the difference between second and 15th. Right. Like right. it was fucked how much higher the, the Bucks were doing, uh, how they were just killing opponents. But the one thing was they, they, they do the same thing every single time. Every single time, you know exactly what they're going to do. They're going to drop back their centers. They're never going to go up. On, they're never going to go over on the pick and roll. They're going to leave a ton of open above the break threes, and they they're just going to be like, let's see if you can beat beat us with that. And also, I mean, uh, they're just doing a bunch of swinging kick stuff on the uh, on the offensive end, and they're going to stick uh, to their rotation patterns no matter what. Yeah, I mean, and, we'll, we'll get to Budenholzer in a bit. Something I did want to bring out that we also called before this series was that. Um, Giannis was so limited offensively that his stats were almost halved from right. his regular season stats. Like we said this before, and I'll say it again. Playoff basketball is very different than regular season basketball. What works over 82 games may not work in a seven game series. We've now seen that put again pin, with the Bucks. So put a pin in what you just said that like copy paste for Siakam. 
Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> the the comparisons between Giannis's series and Siakam's against the Celtics are just mind blowingly close. But we'll, well, we'll get into that. Similar players, except one is like obviously much better than the other. But Siakam's yeah. like Giannis light. Yeah. Yeah. Probably very light, but yeah. Yeah, very light, but like yeah. similar skill sets and that like there's a couple things they do really well, but outside of that, not a whole yeah. lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so just to put in perspective why the Heat were so good against the Bucks and why it was a nightmare matchup was because, um, like I said, the Bucks leave the most, literally the most in the NBA. This is a fact, the most above the break threes. They give a ton of open threes. Um, the, the, the Heat this year were number two in um, three-point percentage total, and it makes sense. They got guys like Goran Dragic, Goran Dragic, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, who are just just throwing flames from three. Also, they have a bunch of... They have, like, Kelly Olenek and uh, Myers Leonard, some big guys who can... Yeah, Heat are a lot deeper than a lot of people expected. Yeah, it's because they don't have a lot of star names. And then, um, defensively, they have great long wings who can create a wall. I mean, it starts with Bam Adebayo against Giannis, um, and then it extends to Jimmy Butler, who locked up Middleton in a lot of tight spots yeah. late in games, like just stealing his cookies, like getting his hands in there. So this is very uncharacteristic of Spolstra and the Heat, but they basically went with a nine-man playoff rotation. The Heat mm-hmm. did. Their ninth guy was Andre Iguodala. Yeah, Andre's getting up there. Little like but on, the de- on the defensive end for a couple possessions, I like his chances against anybody yeah. in the league. Yeah, man. I mean. Just because you're old doesn't mean you can't be good. It just may like some guys you might just have to. I think you mean you just can't do it as often. Yeah, yeah, shorter bursts. Um, that was a good move for them. Like Andre is another guy. He, like he can still defend in a pinch anyone in the league. Not right? to mention like he's a guy who you could in theory bring off the bench late in the fourth quarter to match up against somebody, and he happens to hit a wide open three for you. He can hit yeah. that clutch shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and also they got Jay Crowder, who I mean. Uh, not as good uh, defensively as Andre, not as good offensively as Jimmy Butler, for example, but just a thick guy who can you can throw on um, a good offensive player for a spell. He's not going to get completely exposed. He'll go in there and do his job, hit some threes. He's a good player, good player to have in your rotation. I like I like uh, yeah. uh, Jay Crowder. Something else that I, I thought was interesting, um, when we talk about how the playoff game slows down compared to the regular season, similar to Houston, you know, run and gun, launch a bunch of threes, a lot of possessions in the regular season for Houston, really worked for them. Russ got a lot of touches, Harden got a lot of touches, everything was looking great. Come to the playoffs, everything slowed down, there wasn't enough touches for Harden and Westbrook, their offense fell apart, similar to the Bucks, man, like, Giannis went from playing 30 minutes in the regular season to 29 minutes in the playoffs. I think he was like 32 minutes. I mean, there's a couple games where he got hurt, right? And got taken out early. Yeah, so like that skews the minutes. Game Look, four, he only point, played 11. The point, the point about the rotations is that um, Mike Budenholzer does not actually change his rotations up to account for playoffs. I mean, uh, he doesn't do it like Nick Nurse and, and uh, Brad Stevens did in that Raptors series where they're literally playing their starters 45 minutes. Um, he's never done that. He doesn't believe in that. Literally, he said, like, I don't think playing Giannis over 36 minutes is the answer and if you can beat us then kudos to you and it's like okay but you've just lost two series in a row kind of like that it's an issue yeah we've made a comment we've we've spoken to each other about this off pod about what the um the Bucks were missing is I think very clearly another offensive playmaker who can create his own shot and also handle the ball from the guard spot um actually we did mention this on the pod too but they're I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is going to be a potentially legendary mistake um, if Giannis leaves and it doesn't work out yeah. uh, because he was exactly what they were missing um, This against against the Heat. Like, he, against the Pacers' first-round series, killed the Heat. He's, he averaged 20, over 20 points a game. He had a great series. 
Yeah. Yeah, they really missed him. But again, we knew this last year when he left. We're like, that's going to be a glaring hole. Yeah, yeah. And it was. He's better than Bledsoe. They made the wrong move. Oh, absolutely he is. I mean, I would, in a ideal world, if he had both, that'd be a pretty good backcourt, but... I mean, they did have both. It was last year. Yeah, no, I know. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. they had both again. Um, again, for the minutes thing, yeah, Budenholzer, they say he's coming back next year. Do you think he's coming back next year? Yes. You do, eh? I. He's a, still a really good coach. It's he funny just, how they don't want to play Giannis a bunch of minutes, but they played Lopez 35 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, I would probably move away from In Lopez what rotation is Giannis playing less minutes in the playoffs than Lopez? Well, they... Predominantly play Giannis at the four, although I think he's better served at just literally playing from the five. No, the answer to my question was nobody does that. <laughs> there is no excuse. Like he Lopez really proved himself like to give credence to some of this. Like Lopez was really good defensively this year, and a lot of the numbers show that he's great at rim protection. But the name um, Lopez in this dynamic is irrelevant. I could have said player X. If you have Giannis at twenty five years old coming off what's going to be back to back MVPs, you should easily be playing him close to forty minutes a game. Yes, Bud doesn't like to do that. Maybe he'll change his tune. He's still a really good coach. He's had a lot of success. It's hard to find coaches that have a lot of success like that. And also, he's still under contract. And, I mean, in a COVID year where you're probably, we'll see about the fans and everything, but the Bucks, a small market team, do you really want to fire a coach making $5 million to hire another coach making $5 million? Like, so it depends. A lot, so of, a lot of owners don't really like to do that. No, I know. But so this is all coming back to what happens with Giannis. Uh, and we'll get into this now. What does the Bucks offseason look like? Uh, everybody's basically under contract. So they're going to come back with the same team. We were talking a little bit off the pod. What options do they have for next year? Do you just come back with the same team and hope it works out next year? Do you try and make a move before the season starts? Or are you hand-tied? Are you handcuffed uh, with the team that you have as far as making a move? And do you just try and trade Giannis at the trade deadline so he doesn't walk in the offseason? Yeah, so like you said, we did have this conversation off pod. And when you first brought up the idea of like trading Giannis, that's one thing I was very like against it. Because I think, one, I don't think they're going to do it, especially not in the offseason. I think predominantly what they're going to try to do is improve their team and find that playmaker playmaking ball handler that they're missing. Um, basically try to trade anyone but Giannis and Middleton uh, that they can to get like a really good player. Now that sounded great in theory, but then we did this exercise. We actually went through the teams just looking at like, okay, what is a trade that reasonably makes sense? Um, even if you're, even if you have to overpay and we realized like there really isn't a lot. I came down with three names that could potentially be someone the Bucks could target. Okay. Who you got? Victor Oladipo. Okay. DeMar DeRozan. Okay. And Chris Paul. Right. If you look at the structure of the league right now and where teams are at, I think it's a very static um, offseason for big names moving. I don't think, I just don't think it's the offseason for that. There doesn't seem to be a lot of teams that are, that have pieces they're pining to move off. I mean, who knows, but things could change in a heartbeat and guys maybe move that you don't expect it. But just looking at like who is likely to be traded and who is likely to stay put, not a lot of guys that are likely to be traded. Yeah, and I mean, this was kind of the point I was trying to make beforehand was that even if you do manage to find those three guys that you mentioned that the Bucks would like to pair with Milton and Giannis to try and give it one more go, like who are these other teams willing to part with their stars for on the Bucks? Like who are the Bucks really, what assets right. do they have to give up in a trade? Okay, well, yeah. So, I mean, Victor Oladipo, like bring him up. I think he'd be really good for the Bucks. Yeah. He's kind of like, kind of Brogdon-y except... I like, it. I like Oladipo um, with Milton and Giannis. So who are the Pacers willing to take to give up with on Oladipo? Basically, 
I you think got it's Bledsoe's mostly... under contract for three more years. Lopez under contract for three more years. George Hill under contract for two more yeah. years. Urson, one year left. No, well, yeah, but it's not guaranteed. But basically, like, um, you probably make a trade surrounding, um, like, I would like to make a trade surrounding, like, Brooke Lopez. Um, but actually, no, the, scratch that. The Pacers would never do that. They already have too many bigs. Um, but it would it, maybe, I guess, Bledsoe plus, like... You just have to make the salaries work, and then you're tossing in picks. Maybe the Pacers are like, we'll take the security in Bledsoe, because I don't think they want to lose Oladipo for nothing. And then you can come back to me and say, like, Chris, like, what if they resign Oladipo? And that would be ideal, I think. But from what I've been reading and hearing from other people, it seems that that's just not something they're willing to do. Like, he's going to want close to max. Yeah, and you're right. And I, I am going to come, and, come yeah. back at you, though, but I'm not going to come back at you if they resign him. But what if they rather... Give that Pacers squad another run, one more year, rather than trading Victor now for Bledsoe. Like, personally, if I'm the Pacers, just as a fan, I'd rather give this crew one more season than just trade for Bledsoe now. And I actually think you're right when I think about it. I like So that's probably not a trade. I'm just trying to think, like, conceivably, if you're trying to move off uh, Oladipo to not lose him for nothing and still losing him for agency... I think you ship him somewhere else. I think you ship him yeah, to the West, maybe. But yeah, like, yeah, probably there's going to be someone who's willing to give up more than what you're willing to give. So what do they? What did the Bucks miss this year in the playoffs? They missed another scoring option in the half court. I like the Demar move again. Are, but what do the Spurs want from this depleted well, that's, Bucks? Well, that's one thing where the Spurs would just like probably just want to get off the money. That's yeah. one where you just match it. Doesn't matter what filler you give. It's probably also Bledsoe because that's yeah. like one of the biggest non. Uh, Middleton Giannis contracts you have. Demar has got an expiring contract, twenty-seven million a year, but one year and then you're done. Yeah, um, and he's not very good defensively, granted, but the Bucks had the best defense during the regular season, so maybe there's a little give and take. Um, he doesn't shoot threes, but um, the Bucks have a lot of guys who can shoot threes. Um, they have a lot of one-dimensional just kind of shooter guys, so this is one where maybe um, the strengths that DeMar brings... And uh, really help the Bucks, whereas his weaknesses are um, they're negated mitigated, a bit. Yeah. mitigated by the fact that the Bucks' team strengths um, can make up for his weaknesses. I don't know. I think it's it's also one that's a lower cost asset wise. It wouldn't take too much to get him out of uh, the Spurs. I think they would love to get rid of him. I and think you throw in a couple picks and you could probably pick up Demar. Not even a couple picks. I think it'd be one. Yeah, maybe. Just roster. It'd be like Eric Bledsoe plus like young player and the Pacers first round pick this year and toss in a second. Yeah. Something like that. It's interesting. Let's see. I don't know. If and, and then Chris Paul is the guy that I think would be ideal for them. Yeah. Age I think so too. Cause now he's their point guard. I don't think Eric Bledsoe ideally is your, well, actually you'd have to trade him anyway. So fuck that. Um, <clears throat> we had a tough time coming up with this deal, but basically it's like, you would have to give up Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, like DiVincenzo to give him something. Um, yeah. To me, the numbers work. You had yeah, to send a lot of guys back. Ilya Sova, uh, which they can then cut for uh, less money. I think that um, OKC wants to um, trade Chris Paul because he's got, one, they're not in a championship window right now. They're not a team that's going to want to go into the tax. This is pretty well known. Um, they're approaching the tax. They already have like some pretty good guards anyway. Like They got Chris Paul basically to get rid of the Russ deal, but now they're on this big Chris Paul deal who, despite how well he played this year, is still got two more years left at 40 million basically yeah so this is good and so this is gonna tra- this can transition to us into talking about yeah. okc's offseason i think the success that they did have this season makes their offseason a lot more complicated how so because i think as a fan base 
I want to see them running back again with Chris Paul and the young guys who now have one more year under their belt. Right. That would be fun. I think like Chris Paul was great with the young guys. I think he's great with a young team that tries hard, but he's obviously the key guy and he can just lead them and teach them because he's got a great basketball mind. Yeah. But he also wants to contend. Like this was a fun year for him. I think he had a lot of fun, but he wants to win a championship. So I'm going to be wants able- to win one, and I think he would love to go to Milwaukee if he had the opportunity because he could definitely win one with them. Yeah, he could with yeah. that last year. I think so too. And on OKC's part, despite what the fans want and everything, I mean the fans don't make the choices. Um, they have a ton of picks coming in, like a ton uh, from the Clippers deal, yeah. from the Houston Rockets deal, getting Chris Paul, um, where they also got picks back. To get to take Chris Paul. Their championship window is coming up in a few years. Like, develop Shea. Um, he's the piece to build around. Get some good draft picks. We'll see where they go. I think this is a great opportunity to trade Chris Paul when he has positive um, uh, asset value. Because if he goes back at $40 million a year, and then I think he's 30, 35 or 36. Chris Paul is 35. Yeah. He just played his 35 season. So he's going to be 36 next year. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's correct. If he has a bad year at 36... And like maybe some hamstring issues come up. Suddenly he's like, yo, no one wants him, right? This right. is an opportunity for you might actually get, instead of having to attach a first round pick to get rid of him, um, if you don't want to go in the tax, you might actually get a pick back. And in fact, I think Milwaukee would be willing to give up a pick or two to get him. So I think there's a great opportunity to cash in on the value. And yeah. so I would not be surprised if Milwaukee makes kind of that desperation move to get this aging star who's still great, add him to that team. And I think it would work wonderfully. Imagine like Chris Paul just throwing lob city lobs to to. Well, what is, so what does it do? One, it gives you a guy who can score. He has the ability to create shots for other people and create his own shot. Um, that's something that they missed with Brogdon out. Yeah. So now you've got another guy who can facilitate for Middleton, take some of the offensive pressure away from Giannis, change it up a little bit, the dynamic. Also, Giannis running the wing with Chris Paul feeding him the ball in fast break. I, I like it. It makes yeah. sense. Like in their half court, they got really jumbled up. Half court offense, that is. It, I think it actually basketball wise as long as chris paul can play the way he did this year or like approximately to it i think it's a good move so Um, i think there is one i think they're the one team other than philly who is a favorite chris paul destination of mine they're the one team where they would be desperate enough and at a point where they're like we need this 36 year old point guard making 40 million dollars because it's time now we need to win now not tomorrow it's not about the future it's right about right fucking now right so our MVP, superstar, best player we've had since freaking Lou Alcindor yeah. um, is uh, going to leave if yeah. they don't win. I mean, the last time they had a big name was like Michael Red in the early 2000s. Branding Jennings. Brandon Jennings was not a big name, man. <laughs> no, like, yeah, just, like it's yeah. sad, but it's been like 20 years. But yeah, again, as Chris said, like the reason there's so much um, uh, the sense of urgency for the Bucks is that one more season and Giannis is a free agent and yeah. they don't want him to walk. They don't want to lose him. They got to convince him over the next, you know, season to stay realistically so bucks are in trouble they are um not a lot of options and they've got a little bit of time to remind, convince Giannis like, to they're stay. in like a they're in basically the exact same scenario that the 09 Cavs were in where they had a really good team but clock was ticking like and lebron they knew lebron could very well leave and they were trying to make the difference is the Cavs did nothing uh, nothing <laughs> That 09 Cavs team was somehow worse than the 08 Cavs team. Not a big, uh, not a big Shaq guy. I'm not a big Shaq guy. No, he was um, calling himself the late, big late career Shaq. Yeah. Um, oh my God, who's the 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 point guard they had the score? Um, they had uh, Booby Gibson. No, no, Mo Williams. Mo Williams, that yeah. was the guy. That was like the best guy that he played with. Yeah, Cavs. absolutely. That team was 
Ilgauskas, I believe, was still there. I forget. Berejao, I think, was still there. It's one of the all-time worst supporting casts for how far they went. Yeah. Um, Okay. But yeah, so I think, just to finish, just to put a little bow on this topic, uh, I think the Bucks are definitely going to make a big move to add to the Giannis Middleton core. Um, They're going to run it and try to win this year. And that being said, they will also, I think, keep an ear to the ground, assess how things are going on like a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Yeah. If it's going south, they trade them in the trade deadline. But here's the thing. You're saying like week-to-week, month-to-month. There's a good chance next season isn't the full 82-game schedule, right? I'm not actually sure. Um, I subscribe to The Athletic, and Shams uh, from The Athletic had um, a report from a Board of Governors meeting between, like, obviously all the owners, the Board of Governors, and uh, and um, Adam Silver, where it's their intention to have an 82-game season next year. That is what they really want. Now, is it going to happen? It's a very fluid situation. You don't know. Um, but the, that the, is what they're aiming for. And they're also aiming for fans. They're going to try to push it back as par- far as possible to hopefully have fans Yeah. and hopefully play 82 games, um, and they'll go from there. If I were a betting man, and uh, as we mentioned before, Chris and I live in Toronto, uh, the cases now are starting to go up again. Mm-hmm. As social distance is kind of being lifted a little bit, like our cases are ramping up. I can't see that not happening in the States. Fans in the stands. I mean, the NFL is doing it. So Limited maybe fans, they pull it right? off, but NFL stadiums are outside. Like, I, I don't know. I hope for it. Trust me, I hope for it. But who knows? I guess it's time to go to the Raptors now. Yeah, man. Okay. Um, so. Where do you want to start? We didn't win. And I was really disappointed. Oh, my and God. You know what? Okay, here's what I actually want to start with. Had we won that game seven, this would have been the biggest series steal in Raptors history. We would have stolen that series because we weren't the better team. Boston was the more skilled, the better team, and they had a higher margin of error. And they were not that good. They made a lot of mistakes throughout the series. And also in Game 7, they weren't that good. That was a very winnable game, played right into our hands, and we didn't win it. Um, Turnovers and poor execution down the stretch, which really sucks to watch when it happens, when you see it slipping away. Yeah, Um, man. Boston played terribly. They did. They, they, they played, shot the ball terribly. Um, I actually thought we were going to win game seven uh, about partway through the second and a little bit through the third as well as we kept chipping away. Um, Boston, right at the start, was clearly tight. Like, first shot, first possession, wide open three. Big miss by Brown. Like, oh, yeah. They started the then, first like, quarter Brown really cool. Marcus Smart, um, who, I mean, overall had great series. Is, like, Marcus Smart, fucking hate the guy. Sports hate, but also good for him. Um, really showed well in that in that series he was everywhere yeah huge block at norm at the end but they were tight they were making mistakes norm was never playing. should have taken that shot yeah i know he rushed it. i don't know what man. are you doing man you have three guys there at the very least give it a shot when you hit the three-pointer and it's still there pull it to the side run some offense that's true but norm has like pretty quick ups like he can get up really quick i'm surprised he didn't try to dunk it but still i, I think he no, did he not he, no he got blocked off the back oh, dude but, you can't do that you gotta finish um, strong look i mean there's no other way to put it. If Pascal plays to what we were hoping he would play at, we win this series. Um, no, 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 no. Hold on here. If he plays just a little bit better. Yeah, Pascal series. was at like 40% of regular season Pascal. If he was at 45%, we would have squeezed in a win here. Right. Like, we needed so little from him to try and win this series. Offensively. Offensively. Defensively, he was good. Defensively, he was fine. He did exactly what we did fine in regular season. Pascal. Yeah, fine for Pascal. Yeah, like... Couple less turnovers, couple less 
blown shots if he was stripped a couple less times. I was not asking for a lot. I didn't even need him to play up to his own standards. I just needed him to not play like dog shit. Yeah, he um, and I'm not being hard on Pascal. No, and I know a but lot he, of Toronto. He takes the, he ta- he's taking the blame too. He he's um, taking the blame because he deserves the blame. And a lot yeah. of people in Toronto, like sportscasters and stuff, saying, "Oh, do you know what? Like, if you were cheering for him last season, you shouldn't be hating on him this season." What are you talking about? So what if he was trash last year and he was great this year? I can't cheer for him. It's like, oh, you sucked last year, so I'm not going to cheer for you this year. That makes no sense. Yeah, he shot 38 percent from the field, 12.5 percent from three. 72% from the line. Uh, the stats, basically 15 points per game. But he, it was his stats were stat. so bad that he actually managed to play worse than his stats. The eye test was worse for him watching yeah. these games. It was gut-wrenchingly painful to watch. This is just like a similar situation what happened with Giannis or what happens with Giannis. And like we said, playoff basketball is different. It's so matchup-based. And um, you can take guys that have offensive warts out of series and... Pascal, for all the, the leaps and bounds that he's made um, the last few years and also this year as like now the first time as your number one option, it gets different in the playoffs. It's it's very hard to be the number one option in the playoffs, especially if you like a limited dimensional scorer. And it showed he was all up in his head. Like he when he didn't have the ball, he was far too passive. When he did have the ball, he was far too rushed and looked like he didn't know what to do with it. He was a spaz. He was yeah. a spaz on offense. He had it snowballed on him. Now that being said, uh, I will throw some cold water on like the Siakam hate because although like, look, yep, if he had to like distribute blame, big amount of blame on Pascal for not showing up the way we needed him to to win this series. Um, actually pretty impressed when we managed to make it to seven games. Yeah, like, but as you said in the open, Boston was the better team. By far. More talented, executed a little bit better. Like I cannot believe the game went to the final possession of game seven. It's ludicrous. We yeah, should have been but, out a long time ago. Yeah. Based on the way we played, long time ago. But... That being said, it's not uncommon for guys who end up having pretty good careers and everything like to have some bad playoff series that happened. I mean, the most poignant example I can give is just another another Raptor, uh, DeMar DeRozan. I looked through a bunch of his, um, like all his playoff series with Toronto, and I came up with three series where he had very similar efficiency and uh, effectiveness as Siakam was this series. So... In 2016, first round against the Indiana Pacers. This is the year, by the way, for those listeners out there, where we made the conference finals and lost in six games to the the Cavaliers. Um, so Pascal in um, in the uh, Boston series had a true shooting percentage of 43.4%. So that's like really bad. And for those listeners out there, true shooting percentage basically takes accumulates all the types of shots you get from the field from three free throw and basically amalgamates it into like a single shooting percentage with different weights, like a three pointer. If you make it is worth more yeah. weighted than a two pointer and free throw less. So, um, so DeMar DeRozan in that 2016 first round against the Pacers shot 31% from the field, 16.7% from three, 87% from free throw averaged 17.9 points per game. Um, his true shooting percentage was 40.3%. Like, so that was literally just worse. Point I get it. Like, and also like, and, and also, yeah. And also like, I mean, DeMar doesn't bring the defensive value and versatility that Pascal does. So Pascal actually was overall better in like this Boston series than DeMar would have was in that, uh, Indiana Pacers series. Although we ended up squeaking that one out. Um, literally just, it happens. Um, he also actually, DeMar also actually had a pretty bad, uh, second round series against the Heat as well um, that year. 
But Mike, um, we okay, so we ship tomorrow off because yeah. we figured it didn't work. We're, they're gonna ride Pascal. Like this isn't the end of Pascal and the Raptors. No, it's not. Like at least with Pascal, we know that he can be a second to third option on a championship winning team because that literally just happened. Um, and his defensive versatility is always going to be important. I don't think Pascal's ideal NBA future, if he's playing as like peak him, is a guy who's going to be high usage, twenty five points per game. I no, think but that's obvious. That's yeah. obvious even going uh, yeah. into the season. Yeah. Like, we knew that the Raptors' strong suit was team basketball. Move mm-hmm. the ball around. Different guys are going to win you different games. Some nights it's going to be Lowry. Some nights yeah. it's going to be Siakam. Other nights it's going to be Fred. But to ride Siakam through seven games as your main offense was stupid. It was well, horrendous. He wasn't, he wasn't the main offense. His usage rate was not as high as other people's usage rates. And, I mean, we obviously moved away more and more as his struggles were... Uh, uh, becoming apparent. I mean, so he had a 21.4 usage rate. Um, that is possessions that end with him either a sh- like a make, a miss, or uh, a turnover. Kyle Lowry had 23.2. Fred Van Vliet, 24.2. Serge Ibaka, 20.9. So he was third. But then, like, we really distributed it out a lot. I've been um, a big critic of Kyle Lowry in the past, as you well know. Um, I got to give him a silent round of applause here. He was phenomenal on both ends, on and off the court. Congratulations yeah. to Kyle. You just played the best series of your life, and you deserve to win this series. You alone deserve to win this series. I thought you were awesome, man. He did his version of what Kawhi did for us in the second round against the 76ers. Totally. Absolutely carried us. Was by far the best uh, player on our team and was almost the best player in the, the series. Probably. I mean, Tatum had some good games, too. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, as much as I want to hit on Siakam, and I did, and I will continue, and I'm still angry, I, I do have um, an issue with Nick Nurse as well. And I know you don't consider this to be as big an issue I did, but honestly, I thought he made some pretty questionable decisions in this series. Yeah, so I thought he was overall pretty good. I mean, like, I we really, have no, liked, we have no I really problem. liked the way that we defended them and like gave them a ton of different looks tried to take Tatum and Kemba out of their games as much as possible, like sending multiple different guys at them, different looks, boxing one against Kemba. Like, I think all that creativity, amazing. And Nick Nurse is great at that, but I know what you're getting at, and I do agree that maybe the substitution patterns and the guys that he played over other dudes could have been optimized more. And you can, like, I could agree with you on that. Yeah, like defensively, we were stellar. The Raptors' defense was not an issue this series, as it normally isn't. We're a great defensive team. Um, again, I think you could have filled those defensive roles and I understand that not everyone's as good of a defender as Siakam, but I think you could have made up enough of that defensive presence with somebody else and not have lost so much on the offensive end. That's what I think. Game seven, Siakam, after struggling for six and a half games from the offense, six and a half games we saw him struggle. Abaka was great in the first half, did not see any action basically in the second half, played like 10 minutes yeah. sparingly. Siakam played 23 out of 24 minutes in the second half. 23 out of 24, you thought that after watching him brick shots for six and a half games, the best course of action was to ride him for 95% of the minutes in the second half. He was defending Tatum, and like we were playing that small But defense wasn't our issue. Defense was fine. But that's where we, but, okay, so this is the thing, I think, where it's like, we weren't a very good half-court offense team anyway, and we got our our offense basically off our stops. Uh... I just think Nick Nurse and the coaching staff was thinking like this small lineup had something going. You added Norm as well. He was a scorer. Um, Pascal's defensive versatility was like 
super important to that lineup that they were trying to play. That and OGs as well, switching everything. He was playing on Tatum a ton. If you like, he could play on Kemba in a switch in a in a in a pinch. Serge Ibaka's defense was really bad this series. I mean, yes, he put up huge offensive numbers, and like, yeah, in Game Seven he was really good, especially early on. And that's kind of a a question about like playing to the how, like coaching to what the game's being played in that moment. And you know what? He probably should have played more over than Mark. Um, I don't mind the small lineup as much near the end because that's what won us in game six. And like it was still playing well. Ex- offensive execution was bad. And then down the stretch, some bad turnovers, a bad rebound there on the Tatum. Uh, um, the free uh, throw. Free throw. And also like... That's a norm. And, you yeah, and then norm. Out. And then norm ultimately ended up rushing that, uh, that layup that got absolutely stuffed by... By Marcus Smart. Yeah, that was a um, hero play. Yeah. I, I could even see it in Norm's head. I could see it was like R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly playing in his head <laughs> as he was going for that. Like, I'm just, I saw it happen. I'm like, I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. It's not going to work. He's going to get stuffed. And then he got stuffed. That was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. But uh, I just want to make a point on um, like Serge's uh, scoring versus actual like usefulness on the court because he put up huge offensive numbers and especially in contrast to Mark. Game seven notwithstanding because Mark was really bad. Serge was good. Um, if you looked at the first six games and how they went, um, even though Serge had some huge games, scored like 18 points in like game three, for example, like after six games, Serge Ibaka was actually a minus 22 uh, overall on the court, whereas Marcus Gasol was, air quotes, only a minus eight. Um, and now you can come back to me and say that plus minus is kind of a, a messy stat. It involves everyone else on the court. It's not a perfect stat. It is not a perfect stat, but I will, I do believe that in this situation, it is actually quite prescient because one, we literally never took off any of our starters. We basically played the same guys over and over again. And then the only variability we had was we had a, almost a clear 50, 50 split between the center spot of Serge and Mark. They basically played the same amount of minutes with the same guys. And just through six games, Serge was minus 22 and Mark was minus eight, despite Serge putting up more points, which talks about his, lack of defensive effectiveness in this series yeah it's true again it's not a perfect stat you never know if boston goes on a run while Serge is out there it's going to skew the stat but like again to your point or to my point actually is marks and siakam's defense good enough to make up for their total terrible offensive game it's not the answer is no it's not it was not in that um the lack of offense is like obviously more glaring with Mark. I mean, the way that he's regressed in the last two years, uh, like literally doesn't even have a post game anymore. Uh, on Mark, I just want to say like, you know, had a good run with us. Thanks for the title. I think it's probably time to move on. Like best of wishes with him. Um, yeah. Thanks, but happy retirement. I think he plays for another team. I mean, yeah, he could sign his veterans minimum, and honestly, the I don't Raptors think, could bring him back for the vets minimum. Yeah. I would, I would be willing to bring him back for the vet minimum. I think he's great to have in the locker room. I think he does either one more year with the Raps. I don't think he wants to bounce around to another organization. Maybe not, especially yeah. within the context of this year. Um, okay, yeah. who else can I yell at here? Um, yeah, Nurse, <laughs> like even some end-of-the-game stuff. Like I, I, thought, like I thought that Norm ISO on Kemba was weird at the end of the first OT. Remember top of the key? They gave Norm the ISO. Yeah. He ended up wasn't playing a great, for three. Wasn't a nah, great I, I didn't like play that. call, in my opinion. No, it wasn't great. Um... What else? I think Fred looked gassed at the end of Game 7. Yeah, he played a lot. Yeah, played like 100 <laughs> minutes over two games. He also did not have ultimately a great series when you looked at it. No, we were talking about this again before. I think Fred's game is a lot better against mismatched-sized teams. I think he can really play 
to his strengths when he can use the pick and roll, get a big guy on him, and either step back for a three to create space or get by him. The problem with the Celtics was, unless he got Tice on him, it was always going to be a pretty good perimeter defender, whether it was Kemba or Smart or Tatum or Brown. And he just wasn't able to shake them the same way he would. Yeah. Um, so we'll finish up on this point then is as much as this is an issue about the Raptors, like not executing, having some issues and like ultimately missing that Kawhi like number one scoring option, especially in the half court. Um, I think a lot has to be said about the Celtics and that they're a really, really good team. They are, um, even though they underachieved that series. They yeah, played they had, they had a play. They played a bad series, but still won. You can flip it on its own head yeah. and be like, "Yo, they played bad, but we and played they still worse. won." Um, they have some great, great guys, two way guys on that team. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, great two way guys. Marcus Smart, uh, really coming into his own. Like we already know, knew defensively what he could do. Is there a better um, young team? Like if you were to pick a team for the next ten years, is there anybody you'd rather be rather than the Celtics? Well their two stars could leave <laughs> eventually. I'm just saying 10 assuming, years is a long time. Assuming you keep the teams that you currently have. Like I'm no, just it's saying the Celtics. Like, the Celtics are like the Celtics are like the next big young team that kind of like although not quite on par, uh it reminds me a little bit of that OKC Thunder with young Durant, yeah. young Russ. Well, they don't really have the Russ, but they have young Durant, young Harden kind of thing. I don't think they want the Russ. You don't and, want well, the you Russ. Well you might not you might not want the Durant either because he ended up being a little a petulant little bitch. Yeah, but see Durant doesn't have good stuff on court. To, like, you can win with Durant. Yeah. You got to deal with like 22 burner accounts and like a bunch of different personalities, but like you can deal with it. Yeah. But so then we'll just, uh, we'll just skip to uh, then the, but Easter- we should talk, we should talk Raptors off season a little bit. There's not much to do. Like all the big guys are coming back. I think we just re-signed Vliet. Um, to a what? Max? No. Is he not going to command max money? No, I don't think anyone's going to give him max. If someone's talking about giving him max, like the Knicks or something, then you, you might just let him go. Yeah. Um, he's not worth that. Uh, I hope he stays. I think you ideally try to negotiate. Like we have a good relationship with him, I assume. Um, you try to talk to him and be like, "Yo, we just we can work something out where we still have max max uh, slot space for the superstar that we want." Hopefully, it's a Giannis. That's what like the front office is clearly thinking. Yeah. Um, and then from there we move on. Maybe we give you like a two year deal at like twenty million dollars, twenty one million dollars. Um, that would still give us max slot. Unless the the cap significantly decreases from where it's at now, you don't think he's going to want more than two years. Two years plus a player option because that allows him then to re re up for the max. Right, later. right. He's a winner. I mean, from what I've seen, like. But do you know what? Like after this contract, you think somebody's going to give him a max three years from now? You think he'll be that much better then than he is now? We would have his bird rights. We would. I think we kind of have a wink, wink deal. I was like, yo, now it's time to, uh, like pay you up. Right. Yeah. yeah maybe. Um, Surge is also a free agent. Is he coming back? He was paid $23 million this year. I think we do re-sign Surge, and I think we eventually just trade him later because um, Masai's MO has always been not letting uh, assets go for nothing. Yeah. If he can help it. Yeah. I mean, Kawhi notwithstanding, but everyone else, like, since he was the Nuggets even, like, doesn't, he doesn't let guys just walk. Yeah. Why, why would you? Yeah, exactly. So I think we re-sign Surge. He's another guy. I wonder if you can just sign him for a better deal. I think he likes Toronto. And Toronto's been really good to him for his brand and everything. So we'll see. I think we have good relationship with our players. Hopefully we can just sell the players on the the uh, trajectory we're hoping the team to go vis-a-vis signing a star, trying to create money for that star. Right. And we'll see where it goes. But they're, they've earned their right to unrestricted free agency and frankly can't really also blame them if they want to get paid. Yeah. Um, we'll switch off the wraps. That's enough on them. So since our brackets have been busted... 
Um, now we have to go from here. Let's just pick our favorites for Eastern Conference. Um, so who you got? Heat versus Celtics. I mean, Celtics barely got by a terrible shooting Raptor team. Uh, Heat took down the number one seed in five games. I like the Heat. I like the Celtics in this. I think they're still the more dynamic offense. I think they're really, really good. Um, I'm not that high on the Heat. Like, I think the Heat caught the Bucks when the Bucks aren't even like playing that well. And they are a really good matchup against them. Um, I think this might be a case of men versus boys, though. Eh, possible. Possible. We'll see. But I think the Celtics win another war. <laughs> I think it's going to go seven games again. But see, I, in a war, in a battle, I like the Heat. Yeah, but over the course of the series. But I think the, the, I think the Celtics have the higher offensive potential. Um, I think they pull it out. They're going to get um, Gordon Hayward back. Um, hopefully. Who, like, may help and also may hurt. Look, man, it's like, would you rather be playing Gordon Hayward or Grant Williams slash Semi Ozilek? Yeah, I guess so. And um, from there, I think what happens is that the Celtics make the finals. They garner a lot of, like, OKC-type comparisons. But by the end of it, they just, they're tired and maybe get a little tight. And they're in a big situation and get gentlemen sweeped against, <laughs> against like, um, LeBron or Kawhi. But do you think since we're in a bubble, like, the the feeling that if NBA Finals generally will have, especially on a young player, is negated? Um, no, because... You just have to look at what the Celtics looked like in that game seven against the Raptors when they were still missing shots really badly and you could tell they were nervous. The nervous hit. It's it's going to be in their head. But I think they were nervous because it was an elimination game, not necessarily because hey, of the game second one round. Of, look, a series can get away from you really quickly. You come out tight in game one of the finals, you may not be able to recover. Right? I think I think you're taking for granted that like a finals is very different. Like there's special player intros, there's special little ceremonies. Like you've got people coming in from out of town. There's extra people on the sidelines you're not normally used to seeing. Like it's a different game. There's still a lot of media that are that's in the bubble. They they'll know they're in the finals. They'll know like they know. The, yes, I'm aware that they will know they're <laughs> in the finals. Know the, I can't imagine Marcus Smart looking back like what what series is this? Oh, oh yeah, it's the last one. Okay okay, got it. They'll know the implications of it. It'll. It'll be on their mind. Okay. And then in the West, who do you like? Well, we'll just say Let's assume. For, let's do... Let's, you want to do two? If Nuggets go through, who do you like? Lakers. And if the Clippers go through, who do you like? Uh, Clippers. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then Clippers, Celtics, who do you like? Clippers. Yeah. I like whoever wins the West over whoever gets in the East. I think the East is not going to win the finals. I think it's going to be one of the LA teams, basically. It's good. Well, big, big game's right. coming up. But I was wrong before. Could be wrong again. Um... You wanted to finish off on uh, um, a rehash of escaping the bubble. Yeah, we're bringing back the segment. Uh, if you were listening to one of the earlier pods, we had a escape the bubble segment where uh, guys generally break quarantine protocol. We pontificated how guys could continue to break quarantine protocol other than getting wings or going to strip clubs, which Lou Williams did. And then we thought about what are other ways um, that they could break the bubble. Yeah. And lo and behold... It looks like I may have been a little prescient on this one, Andrew, because did I not say side chicks and female shenanigans as my number one thing? I think so, yeah. You, I did. You called this. So our latest entry uh, comes to us from the now eliminated Houston Rockets, uh, Daniel House Jr. So what's funny about this is that it was initially reported by Yahoo Sports that, okay, so here's what was reported. He had a female in his room for an extended period of time. Several who was hours. Not, several hours. Who was not correct. 
that's really the final statement from the NBA that came out. No more details were given from that. However, before that statement came out, like a day or two ago, it was reported by Yahoo Sports that it was actually a, let me make sure I get this right here. I want to get the exact wording. A female COVID-19 testing official. When I saw that, I lost it. I thought that was the funniest thing I heard in the bubble the entire time. Clearly, clearly Daniel House has like some of the best game in the NBA. That is thinking ahead. Because she's already here. She yeah. came to me. Well, I wonder how many guys have been like trying to toss some moves on her, and then Daniel Money House, as Maybe. I assume his nickname is, it is now pulls that chick to give him some extracurricular testing. Maybe it was just a very thorough test. Very thorough. That was funny. Oh man, dude, I laughed so hard. Yeah. Um. One last note on that is that. Uh, the sentiment around NBA front offices is that this is not an isolated event. It's just an event that got caught. Apparently, um, I was listening to some podcasts who mentioned this. Apparently, some front office people have been talking to the media saying, like, we're pretty sure there's some other stuff that's been going down. I'm sure. It is pretty funny, though. Like, these are adults, and you're having to basically check up on them to make sure they're not it's getting like late. It's like they're in first year again, and they're trying to sneak alcohol or what what have you uh, um, from Into the, the dorm, from the dons, are yeah. like the your DAs of a like yeah. of your of your residence floor. Pretty much, it's like oh shit, silver's outside. Yeah, it's Be it's quiet. pretty cool. funny. It's a weird <laughs> scenario, man. I feel for these guys. It doesn't sound fun. Like I don't think the bubble sounds like a good time. No, I think I don't dude, think I, they set up a ping pong table. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great, sounds awesome. Can't to wait to go. To improve mental health, like memo to the NBA players. To improve mental health, we have added a ping pong table. Yeah. <laughs> oh man anyway yeah. um round two almost done looking forward to the next round yeah. you excited i'm excited yeah it's still great basketball. i wish the raptors were there pascal wouldn't that be nice yeah pascal if you're listening to this i still love you but you let me down man disappointed it's like your parents like i'm not mad i'm just disappointed well said yeah thanks for this Andy. yeah man sounds good